Focus on Headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio today, we have our reporters in Chejihi and Changana. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. And Chi, thank you very much for covering for me last time. Oh. Was that last week? Was yeah. that last week? No, that was two weeks. Oh, my goodness. Was it already two weeks? two weeks? It was like two weeks ago. Wow. A week wow. and a half. It was, oh, it was. It was like last, last Friday was what it was. Mm. And I don't think I saw you. After. Did I see you afterwards? No. And that's why. <laughs> that's Every time I see G, it's like for the first time in a really long time, right? And then like the other time, I think the last time I was like, long time no see. She was like, I was here yesterday. <laughs> but uh, always lose track of that. Anyways, good to see you guys back in the studio with us. Guys, uh, busy day today. Uh, for the Yoon administration as President Yoon Suk-yeol replaced the finance minister as well as five other cabinet members earlier today uh, with the incumbent widely expected to step down to run for election. Uh, Jean, let's get the latest on this. Sure. So President Yoon announced a major cabinet reshuffle earlier in the day. Yoon nominated Choi Sang-mok, former senior presidential secretary for economic affairs, as the new finance minister and deputy prime minister. Now, Choi has a bachelor's degree from the Seoul National University Law School, uh, where Yoon also studied around the same time. And his career in government service has been mostly at the finance ministry, overseeing economic policy making, financial market policies, and external business relations. Now, Che, who is replacing Chu Kyung-ho, will need to maintain economic momentum ahead of the parliamentary elections next April, which will determine the legislative support level for a number of bills proposed by the government, including the ministry's proposal to restrict fiscal spending growth. Now, outgoing Minister Chu is widely expected to run for elections in the Daegu district, a conservative stronghold in the country's southwest where he was born. Also named by Yoon was Kang Jong-e, former president of Sungmyung Women's University for Ministry of Veterans Affairs. And Yoon also nominated Song Mi-ryong, former senior researcher at the Korea Rural Economic Institute for Agriculture Minister. And Park Sang-woo, former chief of state-run housing developer Korea Land and Housing Corp, also known as LH, for Land Minister. And Kang Do-hyung, uh, president of the Korea Institute of Ocean Science and Technology for Oceans Minister. And and also second vice foreign minister, Oh Young-ju, for the SME's minister. Again, quite interesting uh, with the major reshuffle that we're seeing right now because there was already a lot of speculation that President Yoon Suk-yeol was going to go through a major shakeup. And there was even talks about uh, the big names. Are, I think Chu Kyung-ho, we all knew that he was going to be replaced. And again, that's because of uh, next year's general elections. Uh, there was talks about uh, Foreign Minister Park Jin being replaced. A lot of people saying that maybe this is kind of their way of taking responsibility for Busan not winning the rights, the 2030 World Expo. Uh, there's talks about Tan Dong-hoon, the justice minister, uh, who will probably be kind of doing his own thing uh, with the uh, the parliamentary general elections happening next year as well. Uh, but uh, again, they might actually not be done just yet. Uh, there's still speculation that there might be more reshuffle announcements being made uh, later this week. But in the meantime, President Yoon Suk-yeol uh, presenting the appointment letters to the Chief of Staff for Policy and the new Chief Secretary 
secretaries at the Yongsan Presidential Office on Monday. Hannah, fill us in on that. Sure. Now, President Yoon Seo-gyar on Thursday replaced all of his senior secretaries. Presidential Chief of Staff Kim Dae-gi announced the results of the president's latest shuffle. Now, the president named Lee Gwang-sob as the Chief of Staff for Policy, Han Woo-sob as the Head of Policy Monitoring Office, Hwang Sang-mu as the Senior Secretary for Civil Society, Lee Do-un as the Senior Press Secretary, Park Chun-sob as Senior Secretary for Economic Affairs, and Chang Sang-yoon for the post of Senior Secretary for Social Policy. Now, the Presidential Office also officially appointed the Presidential Secretary for Unification Affairs, Kim Soo-kyung, as the successor to the Senior Presidential Secretary for Public Relations, Lee Do-un. Now, Kim Soo-kyung, the new spokesperson for the Presidential Office, said on the same day at the Yongsan Presidential Office that, quote-unquote, I know how difficult and important the position is, so I feel very heavy on my shoulders. She added, I will explain national issues in a way that it is easy to understand um, at the people's eye level, and we will work hard to accurately convey the national government to the people without distortion. Kim worked as a reporter for the Tonga Ilbo from 2000 to 2004, then studied abroad and earned a PhD in sociology at Stanford University in the U.S. She was a professor of social welfare at Hanshin University before moving to the presidential office. Let's move on, talk more about uh, domestic politics. Uh, November 30th and uh, December 1st, last week, uh, these were uh, major dates to kind of look at. This is where the National, uh, National Assembly's plenary session was to, held, to be held. Uh, they were supposed to vote on the 2024 budget. Uh, a lot of was kind of mired with uh, talks about, uh, you know, the impeachment bills, which, by the way, didn't go through as, again, Yi Dong-gwan, the now former uh, Korea communications chief, uh, resigned. But as widely anticipated, the ruling and opposition parties have missed the legal deadline to pass the budget for, uh, for next year. Mm. Not the first time it's happened, so nothing really out of the ordinary here, but uh, let's get more on this, Shihi. Sure, so the budget has taken a backseat as a ruling and opposition parties have focused on a showdown over the impeachment charges against former Korea Communications Commission Chairman Lee Dong-gwan. Now, the National Assembly introduced the National Assembly Advancement Act in 2014 to set a December 2nd deadline for the next year's budget, but it hasn't kept to it. Now, in the coming days, the ruling and opposition parties will face off over the issue of the 5 billion won club, uh, the Taejangdong issue, and the alleged stock price manipulation of First Lady Kim Goni. Now, the national investigation into the death of a Marine Lance Corporal and various personnel hearings as well. Now, the ruling and opposition parties have met the statutory deadline to pass the budget only twice in the past two decades. And in, that's in 2014 and 2020. And last year, they passed a budget on December 24th. This was three weeks past the statutory deadline, making it the longest since the National Assembly Advancement Act was enacted. Now, as the ruling and opposition parties have gradually uh, worsened in terms of their relationship, the timing of the process has been delayed. And the current year's budget has missed its deadline and is facing uncertainty as well. The ruling and opposition parties disagree on many aspects of the budget, leading to many contentious issues that need to be resolved. Now, the government and the ruling party are discussing ways to address the issues of youth unemployment, nuclear power plants, and low-interest loans for small businesses, as well as families with newborns. 
And the Democratic Party has criticized the decision to cut the national research and development budget and is calling for its restoration. Uh, now, as the majority party in the legislature, the Democratic Party is urging the ruling party to make amendments to the budget. However, the DP alone does not have the power to increase the budget uh, because under the Constitution, the National Assembly cannot do so without the consent of the government. And the process of budget negotiations faces various challenges due to political issues as well. An official from the National Assembly's Special Committee on Budget and Appropriations stated that the budget is not expected to pass once again until the end of December uh, after all the contentious, contentious issues between the ruling and opposition parties have been resolved. That's right. Again, uh, that, nothing really out of the ordinary yeah. here. We have seen this uh, in the past. Let's uh, switch gears here. Uh, shortly after North Korea uh, successfully launched its uh, first uh, military spy satellite, South Korea also successfully launched its first indigenous spy satellite from a U.S. military base in California on Friday local time. In a culmination of Seoul's quest for space-based intelligence capabilities amid the growing North Korea threats. Uh, Hannah, let's get the latest on this. Sure. The launch of the satellite atop a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket from uh, Vandenberg Space Force Base uh, came after Pyongyang claimed success in its spy satellite launch last week, a move that underscored a growing inter-Korean security rivalry. Now, the defense ministry said the satellite was placed in orbit approximately four minutes after launch at 10.19 a.m. and successfully communicated with the ground station at 11.37 a.m., which means it is operating normally. It also made successful communication with a ground station in South Korea at 9.47 a.m. And as South Korea has relied on U.S. commercial and military assets for high-resolution imagery, it has been pushing to establish an independent military satellite network to gather information on North Korea. Beginning with an electro-optical and infrared satellite, South Korea plans to send four more synthetic uh, aperture ra uh, radar satellites into space by 2025 to better monitor North Korea. Now, EO and IR satellites capture detailed images of the Earth's surface but cannot penetrate dense clouds, while SAR uh, SAR satellites can collect data regardless of whether using remote sensing systems. Now, the plan is expected to heat a space arms race between the two Koreas as North Korea sent its first spy satellite into orbit on November 21st, following two failed attempts earlier this year and vowed to launch more in a short span of time. <coughs> and in this regard, South Korea successfully conducted a third test flight of a solid fuel space rocket Monday. And the defense ministry said as part of efforts to build its independent space-based surveillance system against North Korea. Now, the first two flights in March and December 2022, respectively, tested the performance of three engines except the first stage booster. The ministry said it plans to conduct a full-fledged launch when the development is complete to bolster the mini uh, military's satellite-based surveillance system without uh, specifying the, the schedule. And in the future, it vowed to develop a space delivery system capable of launching heavier satellites weighing 500 to 700 kilograms in low Earth orbit. Now, the space vehicle's test flight comes just days after South Korea successfully launched its first spy satellite into orbit on a space Falcon 9 rocket from Vandenberg Space Force Base in California on Friday, as mentioned. And the launch is part of Seoul's plan to send five reconnaissance satellites into space by 2025 to better monitor North Korea amid its rising nuclear and missile threats, as SJ mentioned. It's it's interesting because we knew we were going to get some kind of response from North Korea. They did 
they actually targeted their rhetorics towards Washington because uh, basically saying double standards uh, is the word that they use. Because, I mean, like the U.S. didn't give them the technology, but I guess it using the SpaceX, right? SpaceX uh, rocket that they're able to put this uh, uh in place and so they're saying that technically they got the assistance from the united states Mm -hmm. and they're always constantly talking about how north korea is getting assistance from russia and things like that it's double standards how come you guys can collaborate in putting a spy satellite into orbit but we can't not that we're saying we collaborated with russia but i'm just saying how come you guys can collaborate and we can and uh, we're obviously we got those messages uh from north korea in the meantime the sm2 ship to air missile successfully hit its intended target uh, during South Korea's first live fire exercise involving the weapon, this according to uh, government officials on Sunday. Chihi, let's get more on this. Sure. So Navy officials conducted the first domestic live fire training session involving the SM-2 missile on Friday in the East Sea. Now, the missile is designed to insert, intercept enemy missiles and aircraft from the sea. Until recently, the Navy's live-fire SM-2 exercises were conducted exclusively at the Pacific Missile Range facility in Hawaii, and this was due to the lack of the live-fire maritime test site and a test analysis system at home. However, the situation has changed with the establishment of a maritime research center in the eastern coastal city of Samchok by the Agency for Defense Development in 2021. And this center includes an analyst uh, system for maritime live fire tests of guided weapons. And so as a result, the first local SM2 test was conducted, marking a significant step forward in the country's defense capabilities. Now, during the latest training exercise, the South Korean Navy successfully fired an SM-2 missile from the destroyer called Gangamchang in the East Sea, and the missile successfully intercepted a target drone that was approaching at high speed. Now, the Navy stated that this successful test will enable the mobilization of SM-2 missiles in future live-fire tests in South Korea, thereby enhancing the Navy's response capabilities in anti-aircraft defense and battles. And the officials also added that this process will save the Navy the training cost of 1 billion won, which is about 770,000 U.S. dollars per session. Now, in 2004, the U.S. Navy... no, not the newest Navy, excuse me. The South Korean Navy adopted uh, an American defense manufacturer's SM-2 missile, which is an attack range of 150 kilometers and costs 1.8 billion won per unit. In the meantime, uh, we've been talking about North Korea's first ever military reconnaissance satellite uh, and uh, when it was going to fully be in operation. December 1st was the date. It does appear that the Marigyeong-1 has begun its missions on a full scale. It's been 11 days since it was launched. The handle let's get the latest on this. Sure. Now, North Korea has said that the satellite will undergo a period of fine-tuning and will begin its official reconnaissance mission on December 1st. It is said the fine-tuning process was moving ahead of schedule by a day or two, but it did not disclose when the satellite's official mission would begin. North Korea state media explained that the operations office will carry out its mission as an independent military intelligence organization and the information obtained during the mission will be reported to the corresponding permanent executive department of the central military commission of the workers party of korea and will be provided to important units considered to be the country's war deterrent and to the reconnaissance general bureau as directed now this suggests that the operations center is under the jurisdiction 
jurisdiction of the Central Military Commission, which is North Korea's top military body chaired by Kim Jong-un, and is closely aligned with the nuclear and ICBM-related military units and the General Reconnaissance Bureau, which is responsible for special warfare and intelligence war. Now, North Korea says its satellites have captured images of the White House and Pentagon, U.S. military bases in Guam and Hawaii, and South Korea's Chine, Busan, Ulsan, Pohang, Daegu, and Gangneung bases, but it has not released satellite images. And according to experts, North Korea's claims may be exaggerated, and even if they are true, the images are likely to be <coughs> of poor quality. The Korean military's first military reconnaissance satellite was uh, launched from the U.S. Vandenberg spaceport in South Korea in the early hours of December 2nd and settled into orbit, making its first contact with a foreign ground station. Now, the image resolution of our satellite is 0.3 meters, which can identify objects as small as 30 centimeters above the ground, making it superior to North Korea's reconnaissance satellites, which are known to be three meters. Yeah, again, I mean, it, it's like, what was it? Uh, last Was it late last year, I think it was, when North Korea is boasting the fact that uh, South Korea is so volatile and they have like good surveillance technology and they shot pictures of uh, Seoul and Incheon and it was just met with North Korea uh, South Korean officials going this image is terrible like they could barely make out the fact that it's Seoul and they could barely make out the fact that it's Incheon and so it kind of like blew up on their face and it was a big uh, I guess you know, embarrassment for North Korea. And so given the fact that they continue to talk about all this, the Pentagon came out saying that, listen, anybody can get pictures of the White House and the Pentagon on the internet. There's nothing special about this. And they've always been kind of uh, talking about, you know, shooting down any kind of the technology that North Korea has. But the bigger thing is what they're now capable of doing with the technology that they have if they're able to put a satellite into orbit using their uh, rocket, uh, that means that they could further improve their missile capabilities as well. That's the big thing. I don't think the, the images and all that stuff, uh, the U.S. and uh, South Korea isn't really uh, too concerned over that. Uh, also, North Korea issuing a warning on Sunday stating that their physical clash and war on the Korean Peninsula is inevitable following the termination of the inter-Korean military tension reduction agreement and the country uh, also threatened that South Korea would face total collapse if it initiates any hostile actions. Jihee, more rhetorics from North Korea. What do you have for us? Right. Well, a military commentator from North Korea has made a threat in an article published by the country's official Korean Central News Agency. Now, the commentator blamed South Korea for the cancellation of the 2018 Comprehensive Military Agreement, which called for a series of military measures to reduce tensions along the border. Now, last month, North Korea effectively scrapped the agreement after South Korea suspended part of the deal in protest of North Korea's successful launch of a military spy satellite. Now, since then, North Korea has restored guard posts and brought heavy firearms along the border as well. Now, the commentator has stated that due to the irresponsible actions of the group of traitors, referring to South Korea, who seek to nullify the North-South military agreement, the Korean Peninsula is once again in a state of extreme military confrontation, similar to the situation before the agreement was adopted. Now, the 2018 deal was created to prevent accidental military conflict as the area along the military demarcation line is where the highest density of armed forces and sharp confrontation in the world exists. Now, the commentator believes that physical conflict and war on the Korean Peninsula are now a matter of time, not possibility. 
Now, the uh, commentator also supported North Korea's launch of a satellite and uh, views it as the legitimate right of a sovereign state. Now, the South's decision to suspend the deal in response to the launch does not make sense, according to this commentator, as it's not banned under the agreement. And if the North satellite launch is considered a violation of the 2018 accord, then South Korea's launch of its own military spy satellite would also be a violation, according to their <coughs> argument. And it also warned that any hostile act by the South against North Korea will lead to the total destruction of the puppet army, and that's their words, and the collapse of South Korea. And again, the frustrating thing with all this is we knew that North Korea was going to place the blame on South Korea because they partially scrapped the agreement. And so now they're the one that's uh, initiated. But if you, if you remember all the things that have happened over the past few years now, uh, whether it be all these uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles, short-range ballistic missiles, uh, them putting spy drones, uh, having spy drones into the Korean territory. All of these were a violation of this inter-Korean uh, military agreement, which is why uh, the current UN administration was kind of, uh, you know, believing that maybe they should scrap it completely because it's all against them. It's, it, you know, North Korea has been violating this from the get-go. And what good is it if they're not following through? And then as soon as, of course, North Korea, uh, South Korea decides to partially scrap it, that's when North Korea responds and going, that's it, that was the last straw. It's your fault. You started it. We're going to scrap it completely here. But Chihi, uh, how did the South mm. Korean Foreign Ministry respond to the remarks from North Korea? Well, the foreign ministry responded by stating that any launch conducted by North Korea using ballistic missile technology is a clear breach of UN Security Council resolutions. And a ministry official added that the international community strongly condemns such actions. And in response to North Korea's claims that South Korea's own military spy satellite launch violated the inter-Korean agreement, the ministry official clarified that Seoul's actions were lawful as they were in line with international law and did not pose a threat to international peace and security. Now, the Unification Ministry has also condemned North Korea for repeatedly making false accusations against South Korea regarding the 2018 inter-Korean military agreement. And the, uh, this, this was made today. According to the ministry, which is responsible for inter-Korean affairs, uh, it claims that the claims that Pyongyang is attempting to create uh, it claimed that Pyongyang is attempting to create division with South Korea and that it, uh, it also North Korea, it also said North Korea uh, is shifting the blame for the suspension of the agreement to the South by making false claims. Yeah, exactly what we mm. just said, right? Yeah. I mean, they're going to continue to shift the blame to South Korea. Um, in the meantime, while, of course, tensions are very high between the two Koreas, so we have uh, South Korea and Japan course, improving their relations. Diplomatic sources on Sunday said that South Korea and Japan are expected to resume high-level economic talks later this month after nearly, <coughs> excuse me, eight years of suspension due to tensions over wartime sexual slavery and other rows. Hannah, let's get more on this. Sure. Now, the resumption of Korea-Japan high-level economic consultation <coughs> is the latest in a series of measures the two countries have taken amid warning um, relations in the wake of the resolution of the wartime forced labor issue earlier this year. Now, during a summit in Lithuania in July, South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol and Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida agreed to resume the economic talks and have since reaffirmed the commitment in two follow-up summits in August and last month. Now, diplomatic sources said the two sides have agreed to hold a new meeting in Seoul later this month. The first launched in 1999, the forum had since been held alternatively 
alternatively in uh, Seoul, uh, South Korea and Japan before being suspended following the 14th session in Tokyo in January 2016 due to tensions over the issue of wartime sexual slavery. And on Friday, the two countries also clinched a $10 billion currency swap deal eight years after the former deal ended in 2015. The deal has a three-year term. And as a result, when Korea supplies dollars to Japan, Japan deposits yen in Korea and vice versa. When Japan supplies dollars to Korea, Korea deposits one in Japan. Now, the agreement follows an earlier meeting between the two governments at Japan's Ministry of Finance, where they agreed to reinstate state the Korea-Japan currency swap. Now, the Korea-Japan currency swap started with $2 billion in July 2001 and grew to $70 billion by the end of 2011, but was suspended in February 2015 as relations between the two countries cooled. Now, the two countries expect the swap agreement to promote bilateral financial uh, cooperation and strengthen financial safety nets in the region. In the meantime, now concerns over relations with China now, especially when it comes to uh, trade. We have customs process for uh, exporting urea from China to South Korea having been temporarily suspended. Uh, as a result, the Seoul government has initiated an inquiry into the matter. Uh, Ji, let's get more on this. Sure. So China has recently blocked the export of Chinese urea to South Korean companies. However, the Chinese government has not yet given, given an official explanation uh, despite the Seoul's request. Now, a finance ministry official said the ministry is convening a related emergency meeting and looking into the situation, checking and monitoring the country's current urea solution inventory. And a joint meeting involving the industry, finance, and foreign ministries was held on Thursday to discuss the issue. And another meeting was scheduled for uh, Monday, which is today. Now, sources said the Chinese action may have been uh, due to uh, address in order to address domestic supply and demand issues rather than as a formal export control measure. Now, back in 2021, if you remember, China restricted its urea exports amid a trade dispute with Australia, causing significant disruptions here in South Korea uh, to its logistics networks. However, uh, the government has learned from its past experiences and as of now South Korea's inventory of urea is enough to last around three months uh, taking into consideration its planned imports from Vietnam Japan and other countries excluding China and according to an online platform for China's chemical fertilizer industry the Chinese urea market has been showing signs of fluctuation and weakness recently and an expert analysis on the website revealed that urea enterprises in the Jincheng area of uh, Shanxi province have restricted production and natural gas urea enterprises in the southwest are expected to undergo an extensive plant shutdown uh, due to natural gas restrictions. Now, all this is due to China's domestic supply security and price stabilization policies being a top priority at the moment. And as off-season urea stockpiling slows down, experts will also tighten, and the market is speculating that all urea experts will be restricted uh, before the first quarter of next year, and all indications suggest a potential blockage in the urea export road. And so this is what uh, South Korea and the U.S. and other uh, Western countries have been talking about, right? Mm -hmm. It's not decoupling from China. It's de-risking. Mm -hmm. And in situations like this, when we have so much reliance on these goods from China and something like this happens, we have no other 
uh, answer to this. And so in order to kind of, uh, you know, widen the portfolio of, uh, you know, things that we can get, uh, you know, this is what we're talking about here. And also an interesting uh, report that came out from uh, Bank of Korea earlier today, I believe. Uh, they made an assessment that now South Korea is no longer reaping benefits from any of China's uh, economic growth. So you know like how you know there's a lot of trade between the two countries, mm-hmm. right? And China is, and I think still though, uh, is the biggest trading partner for South Korea. But because uh, China right now is domesticating a lot of their goods, mm-hmm. They're creating a lot of goods. I mean, because of the downfall of their real estate right now, uh, there is low demand for textiles, uh, clothing, and those kind of uh, computer industries and so forth, which a lot of them was coming from South mm-hmm. Korea. And it's moving into the new growth engines, uh, the the EV market, the secondary batteries, which they're all making in China. So South Korea is no longer able to export all those goods to China. Mm-hmm. And so there is no big benefit of kind of China's growth, you know, correlated to uh, whatever South Korea at this time. And so now, all the more, I think uh, South Korea is trying to uh, de-risk from China moving forward here. Guys, uh, let's move on to the Middle East. The Israeli Defense Forces, which have been conducting a ground operation in the Gaza Strip, aiming at really uh, wiping out the Hamas, has expanded its operations into southern Gaza Strip now. Uh, the IDF's declaration that it will continue its military campaign in the southern part of the territory where there is a high concentration of refugees raises concerns about large-scale civilian casualties. In fact, just over the weekend, they're saying that some 700 people were killed in large airstrikes. Hannah, uh, let's get the latest on the Israel-Hamas armed conflict. Sure. Now, the Israeli military spokesperson Daniel Hagari said at a press conference on Monday that Israel is resuming and expanding its ground operations against Hamas strongholds across the Gaza Strip. Now, the Israeli forces are beating terrorists face-to-face and killing them. And then Hagari added that Israel's policy is clear, that it will strike hard at any threat to its territory. Now, Hamas also said that it had engaged Israeli forces about two kilometers from Khan Yunis, uh, confirming that the Israeli ground operation had expanded to the south. Earlier, a video circulated on social media showing Israeli tanks entering southern Gaza, including Kanyanis, and uh, residents also reported hearing uh, shelling from tanks close by. Now, Israeli airstrikes targeting southern Gaza also continued, and in the southernmost city of uh, Rafah, an Israeli airstrike also destroyed a house, killing seven people, according to the Gaza Health Ministry. In fact, Kanyanis is the largest city in southern Gaza, and Rafah is on the border with Egypt. And an estimated of 70% of the 2.3 million Palestinians living in Gaza are in southern Gaza, including these areas. Now, these are concerns that a full-scale Israeli ground operation in the densely populated southern uh, Gaza Strip would result in massive civilian casualties and exacerbate the humanitarian crisis. The Israeli army informed Palestinian residents to evacuate, but they uh, complained that the refuge Refugee camps and shelters were also under Israeli fire. And earlier in the day, the Gaza Health Ministry said that 15,523 people have been killed and 41,316 injured in Gaza since the outbreak of the war with Israel. And it claimed that 240 people have been killed and 540 injured in the Palestinian territories since the end of the temporary ceasefire. 
You know, we're almost approaching uh, two months mm-hmm. since the armed conflict began. And uh, on Sunday, Israel conducted its 10,000th airstrike mm. uh, in Gaza. And again, it, then moving into southern Gaza Strip basically means that they're going to take over the entire uh, Gaza Strip overall, right? But they're citing the fact that many of these Hamas militants are hiding within the civilians uh, in southern Gaza. But uh, there's a lot of bloodshed right now. I mean, there was a moment uh, last week where we did have a ceasefire where the two sides agreed to exchange hostages uh, and uh, Palestinians in uh, Israeli detention centers and so mm-hmm. forth. There was maybe some speculation that the ceasefire was going to be extended to see more hostages uh, being released. That didn't happen, did it? No, it didn't. Well, the uh, ceasefire ended after seven days when the Israeli military resumed military operation in Gaza on December 1st, citing Hamas's violation of the ceasefire agreement. And (coughs) since the end of the temporary ceasefire, the Israeli forces have accelerated their advance in southern (coughs) Gaza, while also continuing to clear Hamas from northern Gaza, which they controlled after a month-long ground war. Now, the Israeli military said in a statement that it had killed Hamas's uh, battalion commander in the area, Haitam Kouazari, in an airstrike in the Al-Shati neighborhood in northern Gaza. And Israeli forces took control of the Al-Shati refugee neighborhood in the middle of last month. I mean, again, it it seems like Israel, the Israeli military is just going to completely wipe out uh, the Gaza Strip, right? I think Hamas right now, they can't do anything about Mm -hmm. this right now. Uh, they have a far more advanced army. They've already found apparently over 800 tunnels and shafts, uh, destroyed 500 of them. And they're, they're, they're completely dominating this armed conflict right now. But the big question is afterwards, if let's say Israel within the next month, I don't think this is going to last that long, to be honest with you. This is nothing like the war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. This is going to last maybe at most a month. Right. And so once they do wipe out all the Hamas, then what now? Are the Palestinians then going to be able to return to the Gaza Strip? Are they going to be able to return to their homes? Or what happens to what happens to other areas that's just been completely damaged? Who's going to help assist them build back Gaza? And who's going to, of course, help the people of Gaza who have been left homeless uh, for the past almost two months now is the big question moving forward here. Guys, thank you very much for your reports today. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, we'll see you guys again. Thank you. You You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.